Let us pray together. Dear God, we're so grateful for your scriptures because as your Holy Spirit leads us, we continue to hear in them your word, which brings our souls and our world to life. And so we ask for a fresh anointing of your Holy Spirit upon us so we might be renewed and our imaginations kindled for what you desire in this world. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. In today's scripture, we join God on the third day of creation. And our loving creator says, let the earth put forth vegetation, flowers, and trees of every kind. And suddenly there are roses and tulips, violets and daisies, orchids and dandelions. And rising above all of these flowers are oaks and poplars, ginkgos and magnolias, aspens, and high, high above sequoias. And God sees all of this and says that it is good. And then two two days later, our Creator says, let the waters bring forth swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the dome of the sky. And suddenly, the oceans are filled with whales and dolphins, marlins and halibut, wahoos and barracudas. And filling the skies overhead, are warblers and kingfishers, flamingos and cranes, chickadees and orioles. And God sees that all of this as well is good, especially the orioles. And then on the sixth day, God says, let the earth bring forth living creatures, every kind of Creeping thing, and I wish our kids were here still. Turtles and lizards, chameleons and alligators, geckos and iguanas. And there are also elephants and giraffes, pandas and kangaroos, zebras and warthogs. And God sees all of this, and it is good as well. And then God creates human beings, male and female. And God endows them mysteriously with the very image of God. They alone have the God-like freedom to think and to reflect, to feel and to act. They alone have the unique ability to join what God is doing in our world, to be co-creators. That's us, folks. Co-creators with God. Wow. And on this final day of creation, God now steps back, takes a good look at everything, and says, it is 
very good now. Very good. You know, in our creation story today, one of the first things we discover is that our Creator loves diversity. Whose big idea is diversity? (laughs) God's. As John Paul Lederach says, the phrase, of every kind, appears ten different times in our reading today from Genesis. And the word everything appears another five times. And in our human species, there is no human being who is exactly like you or like me. And maybe that's a good thing. (laughs) But it's also a beautiful thing, isn't it? We are all made to vary immensely in color, in shape, in height, in personality, in spirituality. Lederach says, built into God's original plan. Long before the fall, long before evil enters into the human story, humanity is conceived in such a way that conflict is normal and inevitable. One of my earliest adult stories of conflict happened back in 1988 when we were teaching English in China. During that summer, 30 of our Mennonite teachers gathered in the city of Nanjing, which is near Shanghai, for several weeks of intensive Chinese language study. And it turned out to be one of the very hottest summers of the last century in Nanjing. The thermometer was stuck for weeks on end above 40 degrees Celsius, which is... 104 or above. And thousands, it was, it was a sight to behold. Thousands of people went out onto the street every night with their bedrolls to sleep, hoping maybe to catch a little breeze. And 40 people died that summer from heat exhaustion. Now, in our dormitory where our Mennonite team was living, something extra was suddenly added to the unbearable heat that we were all experiencing. Bed bugs. (laughs) Bed bugs. And that's when, remember there are 30 of us, right? That's when three members of our team, who happened to be very wealthy, decided right then and then there to move out of our dorm, up the hill, (laughs) to live in some 
luxurious apartments with air conditioning. This is 1988. Air conditioning. Private bathrooms. And no bed bugs. Now, this is all legit. Mennonite Central Committee and the Mission Board didn't have to pay a dime for this. These folks had a ton of money back home and they were ready to use it. But the interesting thing about our story is it's now that our team morale suddenly plummeted. You know, until then, we had this exhilarating sense of suffering together. (laughs) You know, we human beings are strange. We can endure all kinds of stuff if we're in the boat together. But when those three left, suddenly our sense of solidarity was replaced by envy and bitterness. And every night, those of us left behind, especially yours truly, laid in bed on our bamboo mats, scratching and sweating and remembering the folks up the hill in the air conditioning. Now, you might think, well, this is no big deal. Get over it, Todd. But in China, that group was our church. And our shared sense of community and being in mission together was ruptured. But here's the thing. Being good Mennonites, we just kept the peace. We never went directly to these three. Have you ever heard of triangling? Well, we squared. (laughs) And we pentagoned. Right? And sadly, a, a wall of silent hostility rose up between us in our team in mission together in China. It's been said that wherever two or three are gathered in Jesus' name, there's going to be conflict. (laughs) Jesus didn't say that. God has gifted each of us with wonderfully diverse personalities. And a group of us men got together on one of the weeknights this past week and talked about how that's true in our marriages. We've been made very differently by God. Some of us are risk takers, right? And some of us love to play it safe. Some of us like innovation. Some of us like familiarity. Some of us love certainty. And other folks love mystery. Some love beauty. Others love functionality. Some have a heart for outward mission. And others have a heart for nurturing community here. So dear friends, when we do church together, is it any wonder that there's a bit of conflict? 
a bit of disagreement, and that we're not always right on the same page with each other. And if this is how God has made us, which Lederach says, then he asks, how did we end up with a theology of conflict that regards it as sinful? How did we get there? How did we end up with the ideal of a church where everyone agrees with everyone and everyone is N-I-C-E? Now, as I read Lederach this past week, and this is why I pled the fifth with uh, Titus, because I'd lose my thunder in the sermon. I wasn't going to give it to him. <laughs> As I read Ladrock, I don't know about you, but I realized how hard conflict is for me. I realize I think it's often sinful. And I think this is because I, and I'm sure many of you as well, have experienced conflict that is destructive and deeply, deeply painful. I much prefer congregational meetings where the agenda is never interrupted and where the votes are unanimous. I like committee meetings where everyone talks about how well things are going instead of talking about the things that aren't going so well. And I confess that I'm guilty of wanting the church to be more like a raggedy Ann and Andy colony than the vibrant, messy community that we find in the New Testament. How about you? How about you? But in Scripture, we meet a God who has no love for a peace that is shallow or false. No love. In Ezekiel 13, God rebukes shiny, happy prophets and shiny, happy pastors who talk and talk about shalom when there's really no shalom. And in the Gospels, we meet a Jesus who clearly assumes that conflict is a regular, normal part of life. He refuses to keep the peace in order to seek the fuller shalom that God intends. Seeking the peace, or excuse me, keeping the peace versus seeking God's deeper shalom. And sometimes, as we know, this means confronting religious leaders and even turning over a few tables. Now, in three Sundays, in chapter 7, in Lederach's book, we're going to be seeing how Jesus helps us to work through, constructively, our conflicts. Early, directly, lovingly, and truthfully. To persist in 
looking for the image of God in the other, no matter what. For Jesus, the question isn't whether we're going to have conflict. The question is how? How are we going to work through it together? And Jesus' oft-quoted promise in Matthew 18, wherever two or three of you are gathered in My name, I'll be with you, is actually, if you look at the context, the promise to be present, especially with us when we are moving toward those with whom we are in conflict. That is the context. Matthew 18. And I have to wonder if this is maybe why we feel such a mystical bond with a sister or brother after we have been reconciled with them. You ever felt that? You have a beef with someone? You go and work it out and you are bonded. You're bonded in a special way. So let me get personal and tell you a story. When we lived in Chicago, one of the children of Keith Weaver, our moderator of our conference, returned to faith and returned to the church through our congregation. And so when I showed my face in Lancaster County, Keith was mighty predisposed to love me. (laughs) And me, him. I loved his son. Still do. This summer, I felt deeply grieved by the direction of our conference. And I did something that I felt dishonored my relationship with Keith. And that's when the Holy Spirit came knocking on the door of my heart. It's time to go talk to Keith. And so I did. And he was so gracious. And he forgave me and he said, Todd, be free. And since then, the Holy Spirit has continued to draw me to pray for Keith. Even though I completely disagree with the way he's leading our conference. Leading us out of Mennonite Church USA. In what will probably be the outcome of the vote this this Friday. By the bishops. But still, I'm bonded with Keith. And I feel this deep and mysterious connection with him, even though we disagree profoundly about the direction of our conference. I believe this bonding, this mystical bonding, is Christ's precious gift to us when we take seriously his call for us to go directly to one another. Jesus wants us to reimagine conflict 
as the place where both sides can finally speak and hear and discover more of the truth together. My vision is partial. It's in coming together that we discover the truth. And conflict is the holy place where we learn more about ourselves, the other person, and more about God. Here's the thing, dear friends. 27 years ago in China, our three older, wealthy colleagues never knew about our hurt. But you know what? We never bothered to hear about maybe the medical reasons that made their move up the hill necessary. If you think about all the huge issues that our nation faces right now, accelerating accumulation of wealth by the few, mass incarceration of people of color, the psychosis of permanent war, Corporations' assault on our ecosystem. Climate change. You can tell where I was last night. (laughs) Hanging out with the MYF at Chris Hedges' lecture. Will our planet's road toward suicide ever be altered by a church that continues just to be nice? and to keep the peace? Will this path toward destruction that we're on right now ever be altered by a church if we just remain the nice and the quiet in the land? I want to close by uh, showing you an icon I've done this before. When my uh, family, uh, 10 years ago, was on the island of Patmos for a summer sabbatical, I kept on seeing this icon in churches. It's an icon of Peter and Paul embracing and sharing the kiss of peace. Now, the reason this riveted my attention is that this icon is not biblical. Right? This story of reconciliation between Peter and Paul is found nowhere in Scripture. And we know they had a big, big blowout up in Antioch, right? Remember that? over the question of inclusion of Gentiles in the early church. This picture never happened, right? Or did it? That's the question. Or did it?
Did this uh, reconciliation between Peter and Paul, did it maybe happen one day up in Antioch when, you know how that happens sometimes? You're going to the Lord's table and you bump into you know who? Or maybe the Holy Spirit has you wash their feet last Sunday, right? Or maybe was it in Rome that these two were reconciled as they waited there for three years before their execution? Or maybe is, you know, uh, the Orthodox call icons a window into heaven? Is this a window into heaven? Did this reconciliation only happen by God's direct intervention? We don't know. But let me tell you, I keep this icon in my office. And it reminds me every time I look at it that God has given us the sacred ministry of reconciliation. Reconciliation is the gospel. And our Lord desires the dismantling of every dividing wall of hostility between Peter and Paul, between us and God, between us and our conference and our denomination, and between every sister and brother here at East Chestnut Street Mennonite Church. So in the silence now, let's let the Holy Spirit guide us as we look at the experiments in our bulletin. Let the Holy Spirit guide you to one of them. Amen.